Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm joined on the podcast today by Lauren Ilbury, author of the novel Teacher's Pet. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, Teacher's Pet, how would you describe the novel? So... My book, Teacher's Pet, is a 570-page psychological thriller. Um, it was a little bit longer than that, but, you know, I had to eventually cut it down from a 1,000 pages. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the printers weren't too happy with me when I, when I told them the page words count. Um, <laughs> um, but for somebody who can ramble on for 570 pages long, um, I ironically really struggled to write the blurb on the back. Um, I just had no idea how to summarize it without giving away spoilers. It's like, uh, imagine if somebody asked you your favorite movie, but you're not allowed to give away any plot points and <laughs> you're also only allowed two sentences to summarize it. Um, eventually, though, after much overthinking, I did settle on this summary. So in 1962, four teenagers commit a harmless prank on their teacher the day before summer holiday starts. But as hidden truths come to light, events take a sinister turn and the teenagers are forced into making a decision that will haunt their lives forever. Mm -hmm. Creepy. <laughs> Thank you. So, Thank you. So do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing Teacher's Pet? Yeah. So essentially, during my master's degree in theatre practice, I had a, a module called Writing for Theatre, uh, where my assignment was to write a 20-minute play. So I came up with the idea for Teacher's Pet then. And after a little bit of time, my classmates encouraged me to submit this play to the playwriting competition at our university. So I did so and I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't really expecting anything um, but eventually it got selected and then it got put on at the Lakeside Theatre. And I think like, like I just cannot tell you like the pride <laughs> that I had in like my actors and their dedication to rehearsals and line learning and to the theatre crew who managed all these technical aspects and paperwork that just goes way over my head. <laughs> so uh, I then heard of a book writing competition during quarantine um, and I started my manuscript then for something completely different. But in disappointment, I realized that the deadline was much too soon to finish it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just turned to my existing story of Teacher's Pet because it was already sort of completed. Um, but obviously easier said than done. <laughs> Translating that 20-minute play into a book turned out to be much more time consuming than I thought. Um, and as I wrote, that story carried on far beyond the pages of what I had initially written. It turned into, I think, three acts. And act one was the original play. And then the act two and act three were just <laughs> me rambling on for the next <laughs> 300 pages. Um, so the deadline for the book writing competition came and went. Um, but I didn't mind that much. I just carried on writing for the majority of quarantine, um, uh, my own little project. And then it it finally got done. That's wonderful. It was You had talked about uh, trying to write this other novel um, during, co during uh, lockdown um, before you switched to Teacher's Pet. 
had you done much fiction writing before the the pandemic? I think I had kind of, from a very young age, I think I kind of like always had that, you know, idea of scribbling and writing a story, but I just never got past like the first few pages just because it was it was always like kind of like passion projects. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, oh yeah, I like this story. And then you get like a few pages in and then you think, oh, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe this isn't going to work out as well as I thought. <laughs> um so yeah, I think I think Teacher's Pet was probably the one that I was the first novel that I actually completed. Um but yeah, there's there's like loads of dis there's loads of stories that are like discarded sweet wrappers around my house that I'm I'm sure <laughs> even if I revisited them, I'm not gonna make much sense of. <laughs> sure. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your writing process when you were working on Teacher's Pet? I mean, I, I know that uh, you had the original uh, uh, play that you had written, um, but in terms of expanding that to a novel, did you sit down and do more plotting, or did you transform the play into um, fiction and then kind of go from there and just follow the story? So I think essentially my writing process, I, I th- there's a really, it's a weird thing to describe. I, I don't know if if you kind of know what I'm talking about here, but when you've got the characters and you've got a rough idea of how the story goes, it is a little bit like being a, you know, those documentaries where there are all these like animals and like people record them and just kind of narrate on what these animals are doing. It's a little bit like that with characters. I'm essentially just standing on the outside, just noting down everything that they're doing. In a weird way, there wasn't really a whole lot of thinking once those characters were just released out into the world um but i think in terms of my actual writing process i didn't really do a whole lot of writing to begin with because i just procrastinated so much i just <laughs> i would like go weeks without writing um and it was all i, I eventually eventually i did get over it i did figure out uh, like why I was like procrastinating and things like that and things were like put in place to actually get me to focus and sit down on writing for a little bit um but yeah essentially essentially I think I always think that script writing and book writing at least I don't know if this is the proper way to do it but for me they're always very very similar it's just the format changes a little bit so like stage directions in a book, you might just go into a, like a little bit more detail as to what those stage directions are, you know, uh, like character goes over and picks up a glass. But then, you know, in a book, it might be like, you know, so John padded over to the desk and he peered into the glass that was that held a, a, a portion of whiskey that was, you know, like that, you know, that kind of like right. detail is it, I feel like it translates quite easily into in into fiction but i don't know if that's <laughs> i i don't know if that's the proper way to do things <laughs> you just mentioned that you um realized that you were procrastinating did you figure out why you were yeah so um essentially you know have you ever had like that impulse to get healthy it 
because it normally happens around 1am when you've just finished, you know, your movie or your YouTube binge and you just kind of see yourself in the black screen of your laptop or TV and you think, I'm not living like this anymore. Starting from tomorrow, I'm going to be the healthiest person alive, like nothing but through smoothies and five mile runs before 6am, which all sounds incredibly easy up until you actually have to do it, that is. Um, and for me, it was uh, the same when writing a book. You know, I'd be filled with creative inspiration, convince myself I'd somehow finish six new novels in a week. And obviously that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I spent probably the majority of quarantine writing Teacher's Pet, mainly because writing a book, you know, just, just isn't that easy. Um, so there were like some days where I would just sit and stare at my screen all day and write nothing. Um, but I never really allowed myself to do anything else either. So I was essentially a statue at my desk for 12 hours a day. And I think the guilt that I felt before, during and after was very immensely felt. Um, so essentially why the procrastination was happening, I think it was just writing a whole novel is just a lot of mental energy. Mm -hmm. um, so I would kind of sit there with the aim of like gathering and preparing my energy to spend all that energy writing, except I never did. It was like essentially just waiting for inspiration to hit and there would, you know, it wouldn't really always hit. Um, but, you know, then I started putting things in place like um, creating manageable tasks, you know, taking it one word at a time. Um, because procrastination is less because we're lazy and more because we just feel daunted by the task before us. Um, and it can become difficult to bear if you don't feel good enough to complete that book, you know? So by cutting that book up into chapters, then paragraphs and a sentence or two, and just resolving to write, even if it's just a sentence, it's still a sentence more than it would have been if you hadn't written it. If you hadn't written it, that's great. And also getting rid of distractions as well. That's uh, <laughs> that that helped me. I think. Yes. Well, can you tell us about your company, Roma Reads Publishing? Certainly. So, um, hold. On. I've got some notes here because otherwise I'll ramble, <laughs> and then this podcast will be like four hours long. <laughs> so, um, so essentially, I sent Teacher's Pet off to one or two agents, um, and. They, there's sort of like an average time, about four to six weeks before you hear back from them. So I sent it to one agent, waited six weeks or seven weeks. I can't quite remember. Uh, and I didn't hear back. So I sent it to another one, waited seven weeks and it didn't come back. And I just, you know, rejection is fine, but I think it's the waiting that's a little bit unbearable. I would rather have a solid no than weeks of waiting and ghosting. Um, the publishers and the agents are all incredibly busy people with no time to send a no to the thousands of manuscripts that get sent to them. Um, but in those weeks of waiting, I got to thinking about the world of publishing and I wondered if I should be waiting around for people to kickstart my career or whether I should just take the reins and do it myself. Um, so as I look more into the world of publishing, the more I just fell in love with the process of publishing a book. Like I'm fascinated with how a group of people can take a manuscript and polish the words through various types of editing, you know, how they can make the manuscript have a professional appearance through typesetting, you know, how people can use limitless imagination with cover design and how people can showcase that manuscript to the world with inventive marketing campaigns. So I not only wanted to do this for myself, but 
for other people as well, like to collaborate and workshop with authors and experience their passion for a project and, you know, bring this project into fruition. You know, it became very clear early on that this publishing company uh, was not about money. It was about creating a platform for authors to share their art and proudly watch them bring this idea into the world and see others become inspired by their message and to, you know, hopefully (laughs) use this message for good. And I just love seeing people's inspiration, their confidence and belief in an idea. And if I can help make that concept a reality, I knew it was something that went beyond a want to do. It was a need because as corny as it, as corny as it sounds, the more I've been in the process of setting up this company, the more I realized it was something that I was meant to do. Like publishing just felt right in every sense of the word. Um, And I've fully invested all blood, sweat and tears into the startup. Um, And now we're with a global distributor. Now we've got a fantastic sales team. Now we're set up with Waterstones and Foils and Barnes and Noble. We're going to be launching in March 2024. That's the official launch. But we've got a few manuscripts to work on in the meantime. Um, And then I... Oh, yeah. And I also approached the Prince's Trust Enterprise Charity as well. Um, And they're a charity dedicated to helping young people in business start up with advice and grants. And they've been fantastic with offering me constructive feedback. You know, I I spent months, if not a probably about four years in total studying business and two years studying publishing. Um, I have two business qualifications, but I strongly believe that you can study as much theory as you want. (laughs) But when it comes to the practical, there's always going to be brand new hurdles. So it was great to know that there were established business professionals that I could ask for feedback from at any time. Um, I think for me, because I was just Googling so much because that was pretty much all I could do. I didn't know anyone in the publishing sector. There was no publishing house that was going to give me a how to start up your own publishing company list to a competitor. So to get to where we are today was a lot of trial and error. But it was trial and error that thankfully we've overcome and we've learned from and I'm now thoroughly prepared for the future if anything like that ever happens again. And, you know, I, I strongly believe that even if I get no further, I can still be really proud of myself for overcoming everything that I've overcome to get here. Um, and I think that learning what I've learned has confirmed to me that if I encounter any new problems in the future, you know, we have the determination or stubbornness depends <laughs> tomato tomato to find a to find a solution you know because every problem has a solution sometimes the solution is obvious sometimes it's not but there is a solution and you know sometimes it's up to you to discover it <laughs> thank you and being a smaller publishing business as well means i get to work with the authors through their struggles and for every stage of production um to you know show both respect to them and the manuscript they've written because there was so little information starting up that we really wanted to be a publishing business that people could just drop us an email or a, or a message and just say, hey, I don't actually understand this bit of writing or this bit of publishing. Could you explain it? And be like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, so little information out there and it's only me. But, you know, if I could do anything to like support people, then I, 
I, I love, I'd love to do that. <laughs> the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, well, on that note, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? As in, like, they've already got, like, a novel idea, but they just don't know how to... Sure, sure. Yeah, so there's a few things that you can do. So, essentially... My first bit of advice would be to really sit down and identify why you stopped. Like what what why did why did you stop writing? Was it timing? Was it was it scheduling? Was you just, did you just run out of passion? Did you like have any uh were you just not sure about the characters, the plot? Were you thinking like maybe this there isn't enough tension in the plot? You know, try and really identify what it was that like essentially put 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 the brakes on. And then once you have identified that, there are loads of things that you can start to explore to try and really overcome that. So for example, um, characterization. Um, If you're not too sure about a character, there are these fantastic character sheets that you can find online that you fill in all these other details about the character and it starts to become very real. You could do this thing called hot seating where you kind of set up a fake interview with this character and see how they would answer questions, you know, getting to know that character a bit more. Writing groups are fantastic as well, because sometimes we can really get in our own heads when it comes to writing um, and seeing how, like reading little bits out and seeing what they think about it and kind of getting support that way as well. Um, So I would primarily, not to you know, repeat myself, but primarily identify what it was that made you stop writing in the first place. Are you working on another novel now? I am. I am. So I 
uh, <laughs> there's this place in England called the Kelvedon Hatch Bunker, and it's a very mysterious place. It's writing, it's a writing fodder for for horror and thriller, I think. <laughs> so essentially, I did a paranormal investigation down at the Kelvedon Hatch Bunker, and it was probably the like the hardest evidence of ghosts I've ever seen. I, you know, when you when you see like all these kind of things, you you want to be rational, you know, like if a light bulb goes off, you're going to think it's a wonky light bulb, aren't you? Or there's faulty wiring or something like that. But yeah, there was, there was, I think someone got, like someone got attacked in front of us. And that was like, that was just a bit, oh, that was a bit too, I'm still working through the rational explanations for that. But essentially the history of this Kelvedon Hatch Bunker place is that up until a few years ago, Nobody knew it existed. If you Google image Kelvedon Hatch Bunker, it looks like a, just a little house in the woods, but underneath is this massive nuclear bunker that the government built in the 1950s. Now, there are lots and lots and lots of deaths, apparently, that happened there. And there was it was also built on like a gravesite as well. So there's like a lot of things going on. But here's the thing, because there was apparently... Rumors of like you know, um, oh, I won't trigger anyone, but there was like there was like a lot of deaths sort of that went on down there. But there's no records of what went down there. But there's a lot of dark stuff that did also happen. So it's kind of like what happened there. So my next book is going to be essentially um, a sort of retelling of what maybe a, a new psychological thriller about what potentially went on down there. That, so that's that's what's gonna thank you yeah. it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> a lot to unpack <laughs> well, well what novels have you read recently that you enjoy do you know what i loved the binding um because after uni you know no no disrespect on the unis but they make you read things that you don't always really want to read. So after like four years of doing an MA and a BA, not in that order, obviously, <laughs> um, I kind of not not lost the passion for reading because I've been reading all my life and that that's never going to go. But it definitely kind of like dimmed a little bit. But the binding, oh my God, I just randomly picked it up and started reading. And before I knew it, it was like 4 a.m. and I had to put the book down even though I was right near the end, um, just because I was too tired to carry it on. But it was just so incredible. I think it was like, um, oh God, it's difficult to talk about it without giving away spoilers, but it was so enthralling. It was so well written. There were so many good twists in it. And the character, oh my God, like the characters were just incredible. Like, I, I was just completely hooked from page one. I cannot recommend that enough. That really re-sparked uh, my love of reading again, honestly. So I, I owe that book a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can people find you online to find out more about you and your novel, Teacher's Pet? Thank you. So we have a website called romareadspublishing.com, and that's R-O-M-A. Um, essentially the reason it's called Roma Reads Publishing is because when I was writing Teacher's Pet, um, my, <laughs> my cat is called Roma and he would sit next to me and sort of just stare at the screen as if he was reading what I had written. So when it was like, 
when I was trying to come up with names for the publishing company, Roma Reads popped into my mind and that was that was it. So even our little logo is like a cat asleep in in the book and all the the color scheme is based off of based off of him as well. So he's uh <laughs> So uh yeah, so sorry that's me rambling. Um so we have a website romareadspublishing.com. We also go by that uh Roma Reads Publishing on Instagram, Facebook, uh Twitter. LinkedIn is just me. It's just Lauren Ilbury. So feel free to connect on there if you want. And yeah, essentially that's that's it. We're doing we're thinking of doing a YouTube channel as well uh, for Roma Reads Publishing. Um, um, but yeah, that's what we've got so far. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, again, we've been speaking to Lauren Ilbury, author of the novel Teacher's Pet. The novel is available now, so go go buy a copy. And Lauren, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me on and for listening to me ramble. For <laughs> oh, absolutely. It was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.